0: Good morning and welcome back to the Explicit Measures podcast with Tommy Seth and Mike. Good morning everyone. I think you are in for a treat today. Literally seconds before the podcast we started arguing about things. <laughs> 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 I think I think we're
1: going to have some fired up conversation today. Welcome uh, back every- everybody. I'm happy to be here. <laughs> we are
0: we are officially live again. This is not a pre-recorded episode. Sorry for those three recorded
2: People were traveling smart,
0: right? and uh, moving yeah. and being busy, so. It, Unless it
2: you only listen to the audio, then is exactly Greggy. the same. Kumquat.
1: True. Then not sorry. <laughs> Greggy is testing us to make sure that we're live in the chat. Yep. and he has we, we are expected to
0: say kumquat, yes. as it is noted in the chat. So, there you go, Greg. That is the live trigger. The secret word of the day is kumquat. Excellent. Awesome. Uh, good morning, everyone. Lots of stuff has been changing um we got a we got a november update very late in the uh very late in november this year i think they were kind of holding back because of thanksgiving holiday and taking a little extra time there for the team which is good i hope the microsoft team got a little bit of a break um but there's a ton of new stuff i don't know if everyone has seen it. have you guys played with the new desktop did you, did you see it all come in and download the new version and start to
1: playing around with it a little bit
2: Man, this is a this is a pretty major update. It like is a big There's
1: the a lot in it. I've read I've read through it. Um, I haven't gotten a, a chance to play with the features yet, though.
0: I have downloaded, and the green is now throwing me off. And I saw a Twitter chat this morning. People were rolling over, going, "Oh, now I need to update all of my documentation again because the, they've changed a fundamental feature." This is why the I don't de- the default.
1: Yeah. You're it's talking the, about it, yeah, the default color. So they, oh they changed the new new color accent.
0: I like it,
1: current, right? It I feels like a lot
0: it. more like Excel to me, honestly. With that green.
2: Yeah. It's like SharePoint. The Power B I for SharePoint was green.
0: That's true. BI, what was it? What was that called, Seth? It was back when they first BI, or something like that. It was just when it was, no, Power it was BI it was inside
1: Power... SharePoint. No, it was Power B I, it was just in
0: SharePoint. Oh, I thought it was. I thought it had a different name back then. Oh, I don't think so. Anyways, so lots of cool things. Anything that stuck out to you guys on uh, new options or features coming from the blog? Our review is in Excel, Dan.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so I love the I... Features, blog. Uh, yeah, dynamic. What the 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 extension of dynamic slicers using field parameters? Right, that's a good good improvement to. Um. Combine those features together. It, it, it seems like a little bit of an interesting way to get it working from a just, oh, copy the visual and change it kind of thing. But yes, hey, if it works, it works.
0: Yeah, I, so, I'm, I'm going to be interested. I haven't played with that one yet. I'm, I want to see some more use cases. I'm already seeing some people do yeah. some explanations on how that works. So I'm kind of holding my breath here about on this one. I'm not sure yeah. if I 100% see the use case yet. Maybe I'm thinking my my first use case for this one would be maybe around you wanted to select different time periods or something like that, or based on a time period selection, it, it adjusts what you see in other slicers
1: to things on the page. Um, I think it'll be. Yeah, I agree. I haven't, I haven't locked down like all the scenarios, yeah. but no, uh, yeah. it, in my mind immediately, it. it just, it's another level of hierarchy of like how you can slice things potentially mm-hmm. or give a navigation experience on a page. Um, so it's, definitely something I, I took a note to to show the team and, and have them dive yeah. into.
2: It's just another one of those ways that Power BI is removing the, the way to do that, you had to hack it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just making mm-hmm. it so much easier. And there are, I mean, this, I don't want to say it's going to be more used than just field primers in general, but I think this is a lot easier from user experience. And I think just a easier thing to implement than field parameters in general, like from, mm-hmm. a, from a consumer point of view. I would so agree. This is actually in this sense, maybe a high, bigger impact than just putting a field parameter in a visual.
0: I think so. I think it, it could potentially have that more. Again, it's what I feel like they're building right now is these are the edge case, or or not edge case. These are, these, these are additional features that are kind of like, yeah, we should have had these. And now they're kind of like rounding out a little bit more on some of these ideas and enriching them a bit more, which I really like. Um, Alpert was on Twitter. Um, Alpert is one of the developers from the visualization team he was very mm-hmm. thrilled about the synchronizing and unsynchronizing small multiples axis. i think that's a, a pretty big win here the small multiples when it came out was a neat idea it's definitely yeah. needed but it was very limiting as far as what you could and could not do with it and i think they've added a lot of extra features to it now where you can synchronize the y-axis so you can desynchronize them to look for trends oh, across yeah. areas i think that was a big win um probably was just needed a little bit more time to mature and and enhance the visual, but I really like this visual now and feel like it's covering a lot more use cases.
2: I think for me, one of the biggest ones is just like you said, modeling in the cloud, composite models are gonna be more of a thing. They've removed another limitation with uh, the ability to work with multiple data sources using composite models. So basically if you you didn't know, if you wanted to filter one more, one or more tables in a remote source group, it was not possible if you had an import and a uh, live connection or a direct query, uh, you could filter one table, but not multiple, but now that's a uh, limitation is removed. So that they're just getting closer and closer to this really being a uh, standard practice.
0: Like what Greg says here in the chat window, Greg was commenting here, it's annoying to see a per visual integration like with field parameters, because some visuals work with it, some visuals don't, but it kind of reinforces the limits of adding a feature at the visual layer rather than the model layer. Because the model layer, as soon as you build something in the model layer, it's available to all visuals Mm -hmm. kind of universally and instantly. Uh, As soon as you start putting something at the visualization layer, each visual needs to be updated to absorb that feature set so that it can work. So I, I think it's a really good call out there of kind of like the strategic position of like okay we're custom things for visuals we're custom things for models yeah well
2: i mean the alternative there's calculation groups right
0: yes which so, also has its own set of limitations yeah. as well as we and, heard from marco and alberto it's kind of a limited feature set by itself
1: yeah but i like to, to yeah i agree with it but at the same time if we're going to talk about like areas of improvement that power bi could be could be better at yeah Like having more micro control in, in these visual areas has always been a complaint, right? Like you're not allowing me to like make this work the way I need to for this specific report. And I think these features kind of address that a bit in allowing us more control over those visuals when and where we need them. Um, as opposed to, you know, the, the the overarching, like it it works in the model, we build these things and they're universal across everything, which makes a lot of sense for reusability and all mm-hmm. of the things yeah. that make Power BI powerful. But at the same time, like, y- you need that grain of control as well. But it's a good point to call out that it's, it's yet another part of training, <laughs> right? Like talking people- One more thing there, to add in there, there right? right? How to integrate with it, how to work with it, how to build for you, uh for you consultants. Yes, exactly.
2: Right. We're here for. Uh I think one of the the biggest one is the DAX functions. I know this was talked about before, but now it's official. Um, I think someone found it, but there was no intelligence, is the evaluate and log, and then the two CSV, two JSON DAX functions, which are purely meant from an auditing debugging point of view. Mm -hmm. So and I'm not, not sure that
0: that's the biggest feature. I think not, it's a, a very fundamental yeah. change inside what DAX can do. But I don't think there's going to be a lot of people that are going to just generally use this. I think this is very niche in, a, in a, for, for now.
2: What would what, you say the niche cases are then?
0: Well, if you're hitting a model directly to go get data out of it, two JSON might be an actual really relevant callout so that it comes back to you in a format that an application can use. I think debugging... Might use this as well to some degree. Mm-hmm. But I don't think you're going to build. I mean, 90% of people who are building reports today are not doing a ton of debugging.
2: Yeah. yeah.
1: So I, I don't think it's going to be a expert level feature. Right? I agree. Like, it's definitely, definitely when you're in the weeds and trying to troubleshoot something.
2: Yeah. All right. So maybe the bigger, you know, what everyone's talking about or what I've seen a lot is that optimize it ribbon. They so I added did, another ribbon.
0: Uh, I'm curious what you guys think about this one, actually. So, what do you guys think about it? I would be reading up on it and maybe playing with it a, with a bit here.
1: Um, I, I think I think it could be very useful in the beginning stages of like creating a large report and building a lot of measures, and you know, but, but, I I don't know, I don't know. I'm on so, the fence. So essentially, so. it's it's like you you can control whether or not. Um, the visuals themselves go execute the DAX that you're creating. Correct. Yes. And then the, the intriguing part for me was the customization of certain like scenario setups that you could do. I want to dig into that and see what it means, but um, essentially it's just don't, don't go hammering databases. And maybe this is a, you know, something that is much more applicable in composite model scenarios where something's going to auto execute. Mm -hmm. Yeah. but I don't I don't have a ton of those use cases yeah. at the moment. And
2: I haven't tested it too much yet, but I think this with the pausing visuals, I think does it work a little kind of like Tableau Editor when you're creating DAX where it doesn't actually write in a sense to the model yet? You know, like because that's what makes Tableau editor so quick or so fast. Is until you save it, that's when it actually goes to the model. I don't know if it's actually getting evaluated after you create a measure when you pause the visuals.
0: I got to play with it a bit more. I think it's similar in nature to what you're discussing. I mean, it's not, I mean, typically when you click on anything on the report page, a bar in the bar chart or make a new visual, it's immediately grabbing data or running queries inside the model to look at the information back to you. Yeah. I feel like this is a similar feature to what I would see in Excel, where I would do um, the auto calculate on an Excel sheet. But when I equate this to what I already know in Excel, in the excel reason the reason i would turn this on in excel is my excel sheet has a lot of calculations in it and every time i'm touching a new cell or making something in or making a change the, the sheet would just chew and chew and chew and chew so not wrong but typically it's usually a, a, an indicator of an overly bloated excel sheet or there's not enough optimization in the excel sheet that's causing this to have this problem so I relate this to a similar con- Like, so that's what I know about Excel. I'm relating this to the similar feature, right? This is the same thing as turning on auto-calculate or turning off auto-calculate inside Power BI, which again, why are you doing that? Is it because you're using direct query? Is it because you're just testing things? I mean, okay, fine for development mode, but it's just going to turn into one of those. Your poor design of your report or your poor design of your DAX measures are now causing you to pause things because it gives you a better developer experience or is it eventually mm-hmm. going to trickle into like the actual report where you're the start? I don't know. This is where I'm like, mm, if you built your stuff correctly, you probably wouldn't have this issue <laughs> is what I'm
2: thinking. Uh, I, th- I mean, there's um, use cases. You might have a lot of visuals on the canvas.
0: Well, again, that my point. <laughs> this is my, my point. This again. is my point. Exactly. You're right.
2: You're right. Mike, every report should only have three visuals uh, on a page. Right. I
0: mean, if you have, if you have so many visuals you that you need to start pausing got- them to do something, Okay, I'm thinking probably not the best design. That's, that's, where I'm, that's where I'm going. I'm like, you probably need to streamline something. You just built an analyst level report and you need to start paring it down and figuring out, okay, what are the four or five? And like, okay, I, I, can, I can get away with like 10 visuals on a page, right? There's a couple KPIs. You have some charts across the bottom. You know, you're looking at four to five insights per page, right? Okay, fine. But getting up to like hundreds of visuals per page or like, I don't know what you'd have. A lot of objects... You're not using backgrounds or scrims or whatever. You're just adding bloat to having it render stuff. So yeah, you're gonna to want to turn that stuff off. You to wanna to stop it. So I, I think it's to me it's an indication of like hmm, maybe you need to redesign a little bit here. But your I your
2: visuals I do... have a spinny icon at any time. Rejected.
0: You're rejected. Yeah. Or user experience. What else?
2: Um metrics, another metric update, man. So hey, this dude, is... they're going
1: all in on that, yeah. man. I, yeah. I like this one. Go ahead.
2: So I'll, I'll let you run with that. I, I've said a few, so. Especially no, if you like a, it too. I, yeah.
1: Sharing metrics, right? Like making them much more consumable across the organization. So if you create a set, um, now they're like, we were talking about this, like, great. I create a metrics. Now you have to create your metrics. Now you, everybody like now, now this eliminates that. That's the, you're creating a universal set of metrics that everybody can start to use in their scorecards. And I, I, that's a great, that's a great feature add like yeah. to, I, to get more adoption of where and how you would use those across an organization. Um, people still need to know that they can grab them there, but at the same time, it's, it's e- much easier than how, how else would you do it? Right. So yeah. at least there's a way to share and use.
2: Well, I, I think this really opens up to having, Just like we've talked about Gold Dataset Thin Reports having foundational scorecards, right? Because now Mm you're going to create these base, in a sense, metrics that are for the company. So for any other team, department, however, using can link to the the source metric. So they don't have to be recreated, which is, and the comments, the check-ins, they all get synced. So this actually creates a lot of scenarios, I think, and a lot more use cases. So no, I agree. So you
1: skipped over the one that has me most concerned <laughs> uh... and, I, and it, it's been a while since we talked about it, but, and I forget the specific use case that like failed horribly for me, but the new way to upload power BI or Excel files into a workspace. Mm-hmm. So you can do this now just via dialogue uh, in the service that allows you to go look at your OneDrive or SharePoint. And if it's in SharePoint, Right or either of these, it automatically turns on that like sync feature, which you had to like really, before you had to be very explicit in setting this up so that you can essentially have a Power BI file in your SharePoint folder. And when you make changes to the file and save it, they would automatically sync after an hour or so with the Power BI service. That one I don't know if I like because there I tried this in the past and I forget what the case was where either that that link broke or <laughs> when I made the change, like the GUIDs of the report changed or something, and it just hosed something downstream. And I was like, nope, I gotta I I wanna control when and how this report gets changed because especially in embedded scenarios, I can't have GUIDs changing. Yeah. Right. Like Mm -hmm. there's going to be a reference or a call to a page, especially if the application is owning the tabs and stuff like that, that there was just too much volatility in there. And if this is going to auto apply that, I don't know if that's going to confuse the crap out of users because they're not going to read the documentation. (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. So I don't know if those are still valid, but I'll have to definitely test it out again. But, like, that, that's a significant difference, like, how, not calling that out or, like, in other scenarios where you're like, oh, okay, go grab some, grab a file. That's all you're doing. But this yes. scenario is saying, go grab the file, and now I'm going to sync this behind the scenes. So what happens when they try to publish the report again or something? It's not going to override. Like, because I think there's this disconnect between once you hook that up, you can't do a, a publish, can you? Nope. Yeah, so it like synced, yeah. I, anyway, I'm not it, a fan it's, of that. It's either. the one. It's the yeah. one that makes me kind of like think, "Wow, that's going to result in a lot of support cases." <laughs> yeah, but we'll see. Potentially, we'll see how yeah. it goes. Maybe they fix some stuff. But. There's
2: there's a few reports that I, I I always would forget that it was synced with SharePoint. Like on my personal, every time I tried to publish, it was like, "Oh no, this is a part of OneDrive." So I I hmm? basically. Um, removed it from the service just to publish it again because that's. Yep. yep. I mean, may, there are use cases. Especially, I think when we talk more on that that cons- consumer view, uh, I don't know. Maybe there's something without from a publishing point of view where they can't publish, but yeah. Them. But actually, that's that's yeah, that does open up a whole other thing where you could have someone who has no access to the workspace, but has access to SharePoint. Right. We oh,
0: shall oh see.
2: Then, oh boy, I I'm, didn't even think about that.
0: And I'll be kind of honest here, I kind of walked, initially when this came out, there was really no version controlling on anything Power BI related anyways. So I was really liking this idea because SharePoint could store all the information. And then really love the linking here. But Microsoft started blocking the ability to then re-upload something from not SharePoint or OneDrive. So as soon as you upload something from a get, get data folder, either OneDrive or locally, it blocks you. You can't, you can't publish from desktop anymore. It says no. Yeah. So to me, like, that's a good thing. On the other hand, it also creates some headache because you don't really know when that thing is refreshing. And in the article it says, or in, in the blog post, it's talking about it refreshes every hour. So it, it could take up to an hour for things to change. And usually when I'm developing things in service, I don't like that anymore.
1: Yeah. I, I, I mean, it, to me, it makes a lot of sense, maybe potentially from a dev standpoint. If I'm yes. publishing into a non-prod standpoint. Correct. Or, you know, um, but that's not always the case. Yes. So I think more. Anyway, anyway, I think I like I said. If if the same issues that I've had, where that link breaks, or I've done something stupid and broke it myself or whatever. Like repairing it was such a pain. Correct. So that's still there. I I just foresee some some volume of support cases in that in that
0: area. I feel like inside the Power BI service, there should be like if you do something like that, there should be an immediately link back to where that file is, or there should be the ability to mm-hmm. relink that file to whatever it was inside OneDrive.
2: So if I, if I had the
0: ability to like <laughs> rebind it when I yeah. needed to, because you're right, sometimes that link does get broken, and Adam's confirming right now on on the chat, sometimes people have broken that link between OneDrive and the, the, the Power BI.com area, mm-hmm. and, then, and then what? Like, you have no way of, reco- you have to basically delete and restart, and that just bonks everything, it makes it not
1: cool. Anyways. But anyway, a lot, lot, of, lot of good features. A lot update. of good features. I mean, there was there was a lot lot to talk about this month.
2: Yeah, I think I, so. Without, um, I think it does be deserve to be said, but we talked, to, I think there was a Twitter chat about the paginated reports, and we talked about it before. Another major update to the formatted tables where um, like basically we want to create a quick table. They're making this really look like a, a paginated reports, just the ability to quickly create a table like now that they're adding formatting options, um, they're getting really close to, I think removing paginated reports in general, or getting very close to just having all, the majority of the features needed, all in that um, table formatting of the- uh, Yep.
0: So. It, I think it would work 100% if you just got rid of, if you added the ability to filter that table, because right now you can't filter those tables. Yeah. As soon as they add in the service, the ability to add a filter for that table on some data that's inside a column, I think you're done. I think you've built it basically. I mean, there's there's definitely some more pretty, you know, pretty things Ad, up there for paginated reports. So
1: Spoke, spoken like guys who don't know how many hours paginated reports. reports. I yeah, so. <laughs> true, true statement. True statement. When I, when I start sending Zoom, my invoices in paginated reports, and
2: things, Until then for the data dump. So.
1: I mean, I know no, sound doing. off, chat, all you SSRS folks like me. Come on, man, got the history. <laughs> <laughs> I love it.
0: That's good. You're all like, right, yes,
1: you're scratching the surface.
0: Anyway. We we are, uh, I guess, twenty minutes deep, plus in the topic. <laughs> and we just got through the introduction, so let's get into our real topic for the day. I guess we should we should jump in there. So um, today's topic is really around security groups for Power BI and talking through what kind of security groups should there be. What groups are you using? Um, this, I think, is actually an underrated use case, or this is a, what I would call a best practice that I use, uh, particularly with with clients and setting up things for them for Power BI. And we'll see kind of where we go from here. Um, this is actually coming from some background on the topic. Tom, you want to give us some background on the topic? I think we've talked about something similar to this one around app audiences, kind of a, a, a separate but related topic. I think it's around episode 158.
2: Yeah, so on 158, we talked about the new app audiences and we got uh, a lot of r- resources from Kurt Bueller, data goblins, and basically like the different use cases of it. And at the very end, he talks about using security groups not necessarily as a like from security when you normally think about like preventing p- someone to see something, but using it as, as a really more of a feature set. So the article link will get it will be in the podcast uh, uh, description. Will be in the YouTube chat, but that got us thinking. Like, man, there are so many different, you know, implementations of groups in the Power BI service, uh, from security groups, Office 365 groups. Yes. And we were considering doing a three part series on groups, and then we realized that would be <laughs> way too much. Way so, too many
1: groups. We'd probably so lose the audience right? yeah
2: I mean, like let's talk groups again yeah uh... it, it, yeah exactly let's talk security <laughs> groups especially we'll see how we'll see how chatty the
0: the comments uh the chat section is if there's a lot of comments in here maybe, maybe we'll consider doing a part two yeah. but okay. i doubt it <laughs> <laughs> i thought there's that much to talk about for security groups so there's a couple ways we could take this conversation we could talk purely like Let's go look at the admin settings and let's talk specifically around those groups or what what security groups are used there. There's also, I think, Tommy, you kind of noted here in the group, there's actually three kinds of groups that you can build from Active Directory, a security group, a distribution group, and then a Microsoft O365 group. So those are the kind of the groups that I'm aware of that you could, you could build out there. And then um, I, I think there's also another area here that, again, we're talking security groups to some degree, but I think there's maybe a broader topic that I would maybe want to address is, as we look at, like, how many workspaces do we need to have? Is there a naming convention? Is there groups that go along with a named workspace? How many do we have? What? How many workspaces should an organization have? Is there, is there a different number for the certified area of data sets? Um, and how does, how does that grouping work um, as far as your organization, history, as you start building out? More of your infrastructure across your team or teams could be multiple teams at that point. So, anyways, where do you want to take this, Tommy? Where do you want to go for the conversation today?
2: I think really just explaining what actual cases are there for groups, and do we can do? You think most Power BI developers consider groups enough or utilize them in your experience? And then, really, what are the common like what are the usual suspects that we should be using groups?
1: Hmm. Good point. Do, do a lot of people use them? I would say no, because it's easier to just slap users into a share to some degree, right? Yeah. Um, it's, it's probably where the the topic of the conversation came from because it, it requires some forethought or plan to implement sharing to groups or wider audiences of people um, by using 80 groups, right? The, the overall reason that i try to utilize them as much as possible and maybe not initially like i find myself like adding users right out of the gate especially for like new reports as i'm iterating and then i figure out like what that group means within the share of that report or reports sure and then and then i go ask for an AD group to be created with adding all these members um but at the same time i've, I've done both where it's much easier to add an AD group and know that a group of users that are coming and going within an organization are always going to be managed by it. Because like the number one reason to use them is I don't want to be it. I don't, I don't want to manage permissions within power BI. And if you do that on a user level, you're always going to have to do that. Right. And and that's one of the biggest yes. reasons to use them is if you if you grant user access to everything you have to maintain the users within your environment which means you've got to stay together with hr you got to understand when people leave the organization you gotta like you have to remove permissions you have to add permission like it's almost like depending on the size of the org you're like you'd have a person just adding permissions to how many different reports or workspaces if you don't have an AD group, which just kind of scales across things pretty easily. I would anyway, hundred percent. That. That's my high level. Oh,
0: no. I, I would say this strong. So there's, there's two thoughts here. One thought is I love the idea of having security groups attached to there's, there's definitely four areas of power BI workspaces. There's admin member contributor and viewer. So, in a context of a single workspace, the people that are going to be viewing or editing or contributing to that workspace, I'm becoming more, I mean, before I just kind of just threw people in there or or had security groups that attach to those things. So for, I guess the first thought here is I like using security groups for those areas. I like having a security group, one for each of those admins, because there's likely an admin section that is, there's an admin team that's adminning multiple workspaces or the administration of your workspaces, depending on how central your BI team is or not, you just apply one security group and that security group gets added at every admin level for all workspaces. Because that way when they call you for help, you know you automatically have access. So that, to me, that makes sense. The members and the contributors area, this gets a little bit more, you could have a lot more security groups being built because you're looking at a workspace that is centered around developers of Power BI. Now this is I think where Maybe my mindset starts to change a little bit or has been changing as I, as I continue to use this and work this out within organizations. If you have, if you use the app to share reports to users that are not developing stuff, makes total sense. Keep the members and the contributors small and have a security group that, that contains those users. But if you're expecting users or viewers of reports to just show up to a workspace and use that experience to, to, interact with your reports, I think it gets to your point, Seth, a lot of management around bringing people in or out of that group. And I'm not necessarily always the expert of your team and the people that need to be added in your team to that particular area.
2: The, so I think two things, the the fundamental thing for the use of groups is probably from the, the access of content. And you're going to not a level deeper, but obviously the, from the roles in a workspace, but I think just from the majority of people are going to be using Power BI, the consumers, and you're we're saying security groups a lot, but especially with sharing content, you can't. You have to also realize too, like distribution groups work just as well from sharing content. The first time that I found how useful that was was creating reports before using uh, um, Power BI. Power BI apps and was like, well, everyone on the global, you know, everyone on the global sales team needs this. It's like, like, my goodness. And uh, I was like, can you give me the list? like, Oh, it's on the distribution list and how to go to outlook, look at a user, then find those users. I'm like, I'm just curious one day, see if I could share that in the app. And you could, which is an amazing way because usually distribution groups are pretty up to date and they do serve a different purpose than security groups. Yes. Office subscribe groups can be created by anyone, especially back in the day, you create a workspace, you create a group. Exactly. Uh, and but well yeah. <laughs> yeah, like totally. distribution lists from a sh- uh, from a sharing point of view, like you know those are going to be up to date because those are synced with who's getting the emails. Right. Uh, you know, and that from where security groups I think their role outside of Power BI. Like what their you know real purposes in an organization and Active Directory distribution uh, list or groups work phenomenally from the sharing of content, um, and I think that's the most fundamental thing. When you get to the roles, that's where maybe the more customizations needed. Well, so
1: I don't I don't like good points. There there's there's going to be use cases like I love. There's flexibility within all this. There's going to be use Correct. cases where. Um, You know, you may use one group over the other, but like speaking specifically to the groups and and what they allow you to do in AD, and I'm not an admin, but on a high level, like the O365 group, which was like create something in Power BI and it's in SharePoint, it's in Plans, it's right. Like that's, that's the universal group. It's the universal group and the members of that group have permissions across these different tools in the ecosystem, which created a massive headache for us obviously because like, or Office 365 admins and they hated Power BI from the get-go mm-hmm. because it was like, what is happening to my system, especially when they managed it? That's all been fixed now, right? Distribution groups, like you're saying, if, if those are available being that they're in the context of an email group and that's going to be the same group that would receive the report and we can share with them, great. Security groups though, have different features of either one of those from the standpoint that they have, you can apply policies, you can apply license provisioning. So anybody who gets added to that group from an administration standpoint mm. can automatically mm. receive the benefits of like, mm. you don't have a pro license, now you do, right? Like that type of thing, which is why I think from a preference point, and I don't care how the IT team Matt wants to manage this, but I recommend like, hey, whether it's a group that is, Um, the admin group or the member group, which are the individuals that are on the workspace, right, that are going to be modifying files and are part of my team or somebody else, et cetera. Like my team is split into two two security groups Mm -hmm. um, that are easily applied to every workspace that gets created. But at the same time, if end users are also in security groups, then you can have all those other things that can go along behind the scenes around licensing, et cetera, that allow you to share with those groups. And they're much more, I guess, controlled in that sense, or you can have more control with them. So I like the flexibility that you can share to different distribution, like share to different groups, but in terms of setup of the actual AD groups, I think security groups make the most sense to me.
2: And I do agree in terms of when you get to the modifying, editing, creating content, uh, role where whatever that is that you're needing to uh, apply, the security groups need to be probably the the primary choice because of the customization, right? Because usually distribution groups, one again, it, it's harder to control. It's usually a broader group of people, um, and also that's the only thing that works in the tenant settings in Power BI. Uh, you can't uh, do any of the, yeah, yeah.
1: So that so that's so, where or- I was going to
0: go with on this one was. So to your point Tommy that's where I was thinking about some of this if you if you go through the admin features I was thinking like what are some of the security groups that we should have 100% made and again I think if your company like that yeah you're right so I'm I let, let me finish your let me finish your topic Tommy because I have other thoughts around this one as well but I, inside the admin portal there is very clear I think security groups that you need to make from the administration standpoint and even if you're not the admin these are things that your IT organization would want to be considerate right. of considered of and allow or even delegating those permissions to someone else in the center of excellence or the BI team. One such thing being, can you use data marts or not? Can you try them out? There may be a team of people that are experimenting with this, and they need to have access to pull people in and out of that if they want. So I think they're yeah, 100%. Tommy, keep going.
2: So everything I'm about to say has a large caveat and limitation. <laughs> oh so boy. Oh just. Boy. Just, just so we're all making a mental note, we'll put it in the parking lot. Okay. So, the tenant level, tenant level settings, yeah. Data Mart's uh, ability to create a workspace, for example. Yep. Uh, um, Correct. Can be, can be managed based on, uh, or only managed based on either the entire organization or security groups. Nothing in between. No individual users. They have. It has to be a security group. So all the features from the admin point of view, yeah. You better have some security groups created specifically for Power BI. Um, And I think going back to the even just from a workspace roles and other uh, cases, that's where security groups need to come in. But from the tenant level settings, you can get very customized and very detailed without having to deal with the weeds of like an individual user Um, and having these primary, uh, you know, structured or like primary define security groups that allow power bi to be managed a certain way i mean the first thing that i do in any organizations we look at the tenant level settings and look at the who can create a workspace um and we make sure that that is part of security group the data march for example i usually leave that on because i like the uh uh the complications there but um were you, you know,
0: being facetious there? Is that, is no, that
2: like no, 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 I, I like everyone discovering things, and you know, having access, having lots them. of questions so, for you later. On. What is this yeah, mart thing? Yeah. How do I use but, why, why is it? Slow? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, the ability, yeah, from everything in between, with from a Power BI point of view, or from uh, tenant features, is, is from the security group point of view. So that's mm-hmm. what I'm going to say in terms of that's the power of security groups and what you can do with it. And I'll let you kind of reply, and then I'll go with the where the limitation
0: is. Well, I mean, there's other, there's other couple ones that I'm thinking. I mean, I think this is something where people need to educate themselves on what's in the admin panel in general. There's documentation on what's in the admin settings. If you have the ability to be the admin and look through those things, I think that's a great place to start because there is like a handful of like, you know, if your company has the ability to publish to web, is there if there is information that you would want to be able to publicly share for sure that's a security group turn it off only put people in that that have gone through training and understand what that means um you know, there, there's other areas in here that i'm thinking through like you know inviting guest users to your tenant that should be controlled uh who can create certified content or not that should be controlled right so there's a lot of you know simple security groups that i think that would as you look at I, in my mind i'm drawing like a venn diagram right there's a venn diagram of like there's central bi team that has certain access to things that they can do and then there's um other areas of the of the business that you potentially give them more power or more an enablement to self-manage and not have everything centralized like maybe you give an entire team or department the ability to create their own workspaces and after they've gone through some training right i think a lot of these things to me are gated right i'll give you access to these things once we align on a policy and have clear communication
1: about what's going to happen yeah but that doesn't that doesn't fit the self-service model aspect of power bi right i mean like the minute I, you put a gate on something agreed but also, but also like there has to be gates at some
0: level we can't have i mean this is this is what we've been like this is what we beat up like every week
2: i mean like, Seth, right now
0: there's got to be gates somewhere
2: I mean, we're, not, we're not saying that if you open up Power BI, I'm gonna get an alert, right? But there's obviously has to be something, right?
0: Would would do you turn on like data marts for your whole organization right now without kind of testing it? I mean th- things are in preview. I think you would definitely want to gate those things. If you're if your company policy wants to slow things down, and again, it's it's whatever you're Business speed can handle. I'm not sure if I'm always ready and not every organization isn't always ready for everyone to create their own workspaces and just go
2: to town. Anyone can feature content for the organization. I'm not, I'm not
1: disagreeing with you. I'm just saying the ecosystem in and of itself isn't set, up, set up in that fashion. So like I agree. Trying I agree. To Put a gate on something across that is never going to be there because there's a huge self service component to power bi like that's where you get viral adoption and i and i think the the other interesting thing about like to me i guess in in all this is like it's very easy for me to be like oh um you know it would make a lot of sense is you should we should have a default admin group that we can create that any workspace gets this admin group because then as we have to use APIs to figure out like, who's the bonehead that created something that's consuming all the capacity and we have to go talk to them and manage them rather than going and having to talk across those boundaries and admin Mm -hmm. would be able to just go look at the report. Right away though, I think about data security right? Where does that not work? Well, you, that admin group who would need to have full sign off across the organization from the C-suite to see finance data, HR data, you know, all the data in an ecosystem. And that's just not going to be the case, right? So that falls apart. But at the same, like, so, so I think the challenge is you have this, you know, like, I keep using the word juxtaposition, right? Like this, this in and out of like, we'd like to do these things but the like i can see why you wouldn't we want to do yeah. this but yes. you know how yes. do you admin that but no you can't yes. do that right and yes. and that's where um a, a lot of that like behavior of putting gates or adding defaults and and running it through the org is challenging i do like the idea and i i want to say some of them are feature enabled by security group or user right aren't aren't some users like there are tenant settings that allow certain users to do certain things aren't they
2: only security groups.
1: Yeah. I mean, yeah. But, but it's permission level, permission based features and functionality. Yeah. Right. That I can get behind.
2: So for example, we're just to run through the mill. If you do not have admin level access and you're wondering what are we talking about, some of the things that you can manage based on the security group on who has access um, use data sets across workspaces, sensitivity labels, uh, create workspaces, copy and paste visuals, hmm. export data. Uh, All the different formats. Certification, also security group. Uh, Allow email subscriptions to external users. Uh, Microsoft Teams, PowerPoint, Discover Content, XML endpoints, um, custom visuals, Azure Map visuals, audit logs. All these things are managed from the tenant level settings. And each one of these can be applied either to the entire organization, which is by default, or to one or more security groups. So, and I think the idea of that to Seth, oh, you're there. Okay. I thought you froze. Oh, my face
1: is just frozen. I just
2: (laughs) like a monkey in the background. Uh, But so let me, let me ask. And um, I think Mike, you already said some of this, but what is there like a minimum level of, let's say knowledge or I don't want to say skill, but a, a minimum knowledge area that a Power BI developer or admin who has uh, access to either you know their publishing content um, or their tenant level admin for Power BI that they should know about security groups and like and basically on top of that like where should they always be used security groups?
0: I think this is a good question because I feel like this is a scale. I feel like we're scaling things one direction or the other, right? So you can go to the super controlled level where you security group everything. And then the security groups become a nightmare to manage because there's too many of them. And I'm thinking of the use case. This is what I was going to, talking to earlier. Let's imagine you have three workspaces, dev, test, prod in the deployment pipeline area. Each of those workspaces could have four security groups, admin, member, contributor, viewer. So now you're talking... 3 times 4 which I'm hoping to do math 12 security groups just for that single pipeline of whatever that thing is. So there's a potential for lots of security groups to be created very quickly to be able to manage or administer all the different users who need to be participating in that pipeline. Maybe there's a little bit of overlap where you're not needing a single security group for every single one of those. But as I think about that that scenario where like my mind goes to when is the right time to use those kind of things? Do I just add users for now? And then later on, if it becomes more of a production or a certified data set, do we then govern it by, by security groups? Is that how we want to handle it? For sure, there's probably like, I don't know, 10 or 15 security groups that you need to be created just to administer the uh, admin settings. There's probably more. I haven't really done the numbers on them exactly, but like, I think, you know, Tommy, to answer your question directly, right? Where do you definitely use security groups? 100%, you use them in the admin settings. There's there's security groups that are created there that turn things on or off. Seth, I thought you brought up a really great point earlier about licensing and being able to apply users to a licensed group that then automatically provides them a Pro license. Those users get access instantly to what they need to from that level. Um, there's potentially the option to have like a pro license and a workspace creation license, you know, security group. So these are the people that we, we go through training, they understand what's going on. And then you've been able to provide them access to be able to create and develop their own new things. So that way you're not totally blocking um, self-service because again, I think we're playing the game here by over controlling things. You're squelching the self-service portion of this. And I'd agree. I don't, I don't want to, again, I'm, I'm becoming more IT focused in my, My old age, like, you know, I guess that's how it works. Seth, as you mature, you become more controlled.
1: No, Um, no. well, I think there's a balance. I think, I think it comes off as controlling or whatnot, but what we are trying to do is say, Hey, we're going to create a policy or rule. And it's a broad swath. Like we're trying to solve more than just one problem. Whereas the vast majority of business or people in general within a business are solving their problem. It's the one thing, right? And the minute you start to branch out from that, it, it, definitely falls into enterprise conversations, right? I wanna solve a problem across the organization. And ultimately, Mm -hmm. you can only do that sometimes when a policy or process changes or you implement one, right? Yes, And that's where where there's always gonna be the shift. And I think that's where even within this ecosystem, we have a lot of conversation points because you have the Wild West, you have the people that are using Power BI just for themselves or just for their team. And then you have um, groups like BI teams, et cetera, that we talk about that are, you know, f- focusing more on the enterprise thing side of things, mm-hmm. right? We want to manage things. We want to administer and make sure the environment that you're working in is working as we would all expect um, yep. or yep. That, that, you know, you're going to start paying for a larger portion of it because you're utilizing it more or whatever yep. the case may be. Like yeah. these are all parts of the conversation that have to happen.
2: And here lies the limitations and problems with everything we're talking about none of us have the ability to manage the security groups the members and how many we create just like we talked about how much mm. control do, do, you? do you i do how, no, I mean, that, obviously I for so, yeah i do mean you, mean that, what, what do you mean got? by
1: that like on a day-to-day basis mm-hmm. of course not
2: right you, and a lot of times too with it trying to especially if it's a little more dynamic or if we're, we're dealing with what we talked about, we want to be very customized. Where we have not just Power BI admins and Power BI developers, where you have all these different things in between. One that has to be managed somewhere, and that's not usually in an interface or a browser that um, uh, the Power BI developer is going to have. That's going to be controlled by the IT office, 100%. right? Yeah. So. Yeah. And two, you may not get the best uh, acceptance too for all the security groups that you want to create and that management that they're updated in real time or not really real time, but on a timely basis. So relying on IT for that management for new groups that you need to create, how long, you know, how long that needs to be, take, that I think is a major limitation with security groups because we can't manage those groups ourselves and the members. We can request it. We can request more groups being created. Yeah, but I think we...
1: Yeah. Right, but, but to, to fit back into the, the governance or like the, the leadership part of this, right? I would, I would 100% agree. If you're mm-hmm. ad hoc requesting that a bunch of security groups get built and IT has no idea why or what you're trying to do, yeah, you're probably going to meet a lot of resistance, right? Like if, if we're talking though, between these groups the like you have to set a standard and a process so that your internal processes like they it support knows knows what's coming in and how to handle something hey i'm requesting this power bi group to be created here's the here's the members and they look in their lexicon of like okay how do i it's like mm-hmm. create create a an 80 group here's the reason here's the method here's what we're, they're doing blah, blah 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 like that's a pre-conversation tommy Right. Like to me, if we're talking about, listen, we have, we need some initial, this is a conversation with IT. I need groups for managing admin settings, right. In, in Power BI. And Correct. you guys can be, admins I think you start well. there. Yep. You, you, we need, you know, our, our security groups for builders, right. There's going to be admins and members or, or whatever, and contributors. it can mimic the same thing that you would have within a workspace itself but then you're not managing every single user and everything that is a governed entity meaning like your bi team and workspace that are being created and then the larger group one i think where this conversation comes in is the sharing right what are the groups within the organization that that you might automatically create but at the same time all follow the same pattern right and if and what i mean by that is if if Sales is the organization. Maybe it's everybody who has is in that that um, area of the business is a member of that group, and then maybe you have to split it out, and you have a leadership sales, and then you have a team sales, or you know, like leadership doesn't care about eighty percent of the reports that are out there, or they do, or maybe it's only two groups, all and leadership, because by audience you'd probably want to split out which are the security groups that make the most sense, and then then that becomes a process, right? Next time you're requesting, oh, hey, um, we need this new group, we didn't have one for marketing, we need a leadership one, we're building a report for that. It just becomes part of the stack of support that IT handles as opposed to them doing their due diligence every single time a BI developer is saying, hey, I need a new security group. And they're like, why? Like. What permissions are you giving? Yes. Why are they, why are you doing this? What are they going to get access to? Like they have to ask those questions. Right. But that's where I say a hundred percent. The due diligence has to be done upfront when you're doing this because you want them to manage the users, right? You're offloading responsibility of that in here to say, yeah, you guys manage whether or not somebody has access to our systems. You, it behooves them to do this. Correct. Right. They want to be the ones that control access to systems. And you're saying, here's what we need from you in order for that to to happen. I like otherwise what's going to happen is I'm going to add these users in this in these environments and I'm not going to clean them up like or they're not going to get cleaned up for like three months or whatever. So that that Mm -hmm. if you don't turn them off, that could potentially leave a a gap in security within the organization. And they're going to be like, you know what, we should create AD groups for you. (laughs) Mm hmm. And I think I think to your point there, there's going to be some
0: common patterns where you're cre- you're going to need to request or create groups, and, and even this is, I mean, you can if you need to, you can delegate the creation of security groups to a person. So if there is a central enough person or someone who again, this is maybe more of like a training thing potentially, where you off like IT could offload this work to somebody else to be able to provide. I mean, the security group is just a group of people applying that group to things that's when the security is actually granted so right.
1: so you you are you are you are applying that permission correct. right correct you're yes. not applying like who's in the group though or you you you're, you're managing that with IT correct but at the same you know so there is power there but at the same time it's the it's the addition and subtraction that would just be it is the overhead and headache where like I see these highly used in our workspaces that are like the the one, the, the highly curated ones, the ones we yes. talk about at the top and, of the pyramid all the time, yeah. right? These are the Covered ones data that are sets. widely, yeah, these are widely shared, yes. they're across organizational units, like this is the big deal stuff, which is why as we go down the pyramid of like into the self-service area, it's like, well, I don't really see like that everybody is gonna be using these, nor do we really want them to, right? Mm-hmm.
0: Like, mm-hmm. It's I, yeah. So, so Adam actually yeah. mentions in the chat window, which I think is very interesting. He works at Microsoft. And so Adam says he has the ability to create security groups. And again, I think if people know what they're doing, again, this is where I feel like if a little bit of education and training on that front side of things, and I've even seen recently Microsoft is even changing how they administer users and groups and let people create stuff. So I think Microsoft, to some degree, once you do be able to create these security groups, because they make everything easier to manage, the creation of the security group is not providing access. That is just a a person who's able to administer and collect people together, and then that collection of people can then be then applied where they need to be applied. The permissioning really occurs when you take that security group and apply it as, okay, this is the security group, I'm gonna make an admin on this workspace. That's when those things are applied. I think it, I, I think it really helps to like let that control portion of creating security groups, relinquish that more to key individuals across the organization. The central BA team should be able to do that. They should be able to make their own security groups and apply. I'm not. Yeah. The I'm, not, like,
1: I'm not arguing that it would be if you have the, the knowledge of how to do that, yeah, that, that would be extremely helpful. Right. That just have certain admin, admin level people in groups have that ability. I Mm -hmm. just know that like the vast majority of people that are listening to us or BI teams won't have that ability. That's true. That's that's very true. Yeah.
0: And I think it also changes between
1: smaller and larger companies too. Right. I mean, probably. As, I mean Microsoft, get... my, Microsoft's just just a little big. Just a little bit. A little big, little big, little big a little, company. Bit. <laughs> a little bit.
0: But as you as you as the company size grows, right? I mean, this could be full-time jobs for just one or multiple people at that point. And then yeah. I mean someone else was commenting in the chat window. I don't remember the name, it, it's scrolled past now, but they have like full automation scripts around how mm-hmm. to administer and manage groups as like automation. And I think that's another great idea too, right? If you could have automation around that or um Cleaning, clean, and uh, I'll put this out too because I've worked with Dan Meiser about this one. I mean, in some organizations, people leave. And when people leave, you get all kinds of residual data from them being attached to things that they had mm-hmm. access, they don't now. And so now you have like in your logging or auditing of Power BI assets, if those users no longer exist, it says it's an, like, I, I don't remember what it's called. It's not an unidentified user, but there's some kind of term. And Dan, if you're on the call, help me out there, but there's some kind of like, terminology used for those users that have been removed from your Active Directory, but that are their GUID, their ID, is still attached to some assets. So sometimes you have to go back through and clean up those things. That's where automation and scripting, I think, would also make sense as well.
1: Or orphaned user?
0: Orphaned user? Maybe that's what we're I talking about.
2: Uh, yeah. I'm going to put this uh, link, um, or article in the description, but it's uh, his name is Red's DataHelge.com, which I'm going to say because I'm terrible at names, but he uses Data Factory to manage groups um, and for role level security and app audiences. Interesting. Yeah. So, so that's,
0: like an- that's like another automation. You send exactly. something in, it would kick off a pipeline, it would hit a series of API calls, do something, and then, then turn off.
2: Yeah. And it'll set access permissions for Databricks. Yeah. So, and I think, th- we're getting more to that point where there's so many features in Power BI tenant settings, and then we're talking about app audiences. I mean, we haven't even talked That's about true. using security groups the way uh, Kurt, Kurt did. We're using security groups as a feature, not a like in a sense of restriction.
1: That's true. So there
2: are a lot of maybe that is part two, like the creative use cases of using groups, mm-hmm. but and I think that we. I would say that the, a minimum level for any developer, and this goes, to, this would be part of the interview checklist. The way they share, if they're sharing everything individually, it's like, is this for sales? Yeah, so the sales at distribution group. And if they don't like that, needs to be at least known that that option is available. Maybe their organization doesn't have everything set up the right way, but I mean, that has to be known by the Power BI developer from a deployment point of view.
0: I I think there's what I would call maybe more like a maturity lens to some of this. And like, as you're maturing in these pieces, I think one of the mature pieces would be, okay, you're, you're initially, you may be adding people to things. Eventually you're starting to migrate away from that. You're starting to, you know, provide training. You're doing more automation around that. You're having forms. Like if you need to request a a workspace, you build a process as, Hey, we're going to request this workspace. We're going to, uh, in that process of of the workspace, we're going to create these security groups, and I think one thing that's underrated here is providing an adequate naming convention. Mm-hmm. So I think there's potentially a naming convention here that if you're if you're talking about security groups that are workspace based, you maybe you add you know some abbreviations inside those security groups. If it's related to Power BI, maybe you add a little term. Uh, PBI at the beginning of that security group so you know it's a Power BI related security group or security groups related to things around Power BI so I do think a naming a clean cleaner naming convention uh, kind of speaks to that um, being able to govern things and so as you mature your organization you're going to probably use more security groups and delegate those permissions to people to manage them individually.
2: And Seth, I think you, you already said a lot of a question I was going to ask, which I think is a huge part. But for those who are listening that are not necessarily familiar with it or haven't started, like, where do you start or where do you where's the getting started on um, uh, implementing security groups? And I, I think the biggest thing you you said is having a conversation with IT. I agree. But what else would you do kind of to get the ball rolling to getting this start in your organization?
1: I mean, they the get the ball rolling, I think, is, or the, the use case behind this conversation is as you're thinking about how workspaces are created and content is being shared in your organization, take into account like how you would want to share them via groups, right? Like the more you utilize uh, a feature that allows you to share to a wider audience that you don't have to manage, but represents the audience that you want to share the report to, the better off you're gonna be, right? So just make that part of the conversation or like lay that out in your architecture and how you wanna like build things or set standards and try to adhere to that. And, and you're gonna iterate, right? Like you, you right. might find a derivation or something that's not gonna work with the scenarios that you're thinking about, but it, at least at least have it in as part of your conversation as opposed to so-and-so is asking for this report. I'm just gonna share it with them. And then when it's in production, they're gonna ask me to add 20 people, mm-hmm. right? Like, yes. understand what, is, what does the audience mean in the context of who are you going to share with and how does that fit into your wider understanding of how you would segment out large swaths of people within an org. And I think that's a great first step. I agree. And then once you have that, those those help facilitate the conversation with, um, you know, if it's a different team or how you would structure, you know, creation of that within AD from a, a starting point.
0: And I think... This is also another part in two I like your, your, your note there, Seth. I think it's engaging the security team, having that conversation. Because there may be already policies in place that are helping you. Like you can just jump yeah. onto an existing policy. Re- reuse or, things that already exist. Exactly. Yeah. Maybe you're reusing some things that are already there. So I think that's a very key point to start with that. And then also, I think it's, you know, knowing what, again, being comfortable, going through admin portal, working with IT and having them show you what's in there and helping them. Uh, understand what security groups are needed to administer and, then, and again automate and delegate right you know as much as you can figure out how to to provide ownership of these various things to other people in the organization so that way there isn't always a bottleneck because if you have a if you if you request a security group and it takes a week to get it done it just slows production down like That that's silly this is the whole reason we have rbi is to go fast right What what purpose is that serving us so anyways well, I think we've done it. Uh, we've worked, we've, we've burned through a perfectly good hour of your time. I hope this security groups has severely confused you uh, and you uh, uh, make you think a lot about more things around security groups. Um, we appreciate all your listenership. Um, we just got a, a summary back from our anchor podcastings uh, platform. We're, we're, we're crushing it inside, uh, inside the, the business intelligence or the, the business uh, area around, Podcasting, so we that that's not us. That's all of you guys. So thank you all so much for participating. Thank you so much for uh, listening to our podcast. We really appreciate it. I hope you get some um, good things to think about today. Um, we appreciate you joining us. And our only ask, our only request, is if you wouldn't mind share this with somebody else. If you find this is adding value to you, if you feel like this is um, helping you think through Power BI things, please share it with somebody else, either through social media. Uh, you can definitely you know, snippet Seth uh, talking about slapping his users or something like that. I think that would happened earlier in the podcast. Uh, It'd be super fun and uh, it, you can enjoy the, the podcast. So thank you all very much for listening. Tommy, where else can you find the podcast?
2: Yeah, there are some numbers or some data points that anchor said, I'm like, I need to see the back end of this. I don't know where they're getting this. <laughs> I don't trust this data. Yeah. I was like, come on. But yeah, uh, if you really enjoy this, like I said, if you're listening, make sure to subscribe, share the word. We, you know, your, you your community your feedback you guys listening is really why we're here join the conversation live every tuesday and thursday seven thirty a.m central we got a mailbag suggest a topic
0: yes we please. love hearing
2: from you guys and if you if you really enjoy it the least you can or the most you can do is uh spread the word share yes, it uh, tell people what you think
1: We really appreciate but where it. can you find it tommy
2: youtube spot outside of Apple, utah there you go um and a podcast it's a podcast so
1: <laughs> it's a podcast all you, a all podcast, of the yeah. podcast channels yes it's, it's a podcast such a such you had you got you had such a cadence of all of them i love that it's got it you got to finish on them i know
2: i know That's it's like good. my happy Tuesday. we took a long break <laughs> we, Yeah, I we know. haven't done this we haven't done week. We're, we're, we're
0: a little rough we're a little, a little, we're a little rough around the
1: edges end. here we'll dial it back in folks
0: <laughs> thank you all very much and we'll see you next time